Welcome to Fishing Forward, a podcast inspired by fishermen for fishermen that focuses on health, safety, and staying ship shape in the commercial fishing industry. Fishing Forward is brought to you by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and by the Coastal Roots Radio team at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. I'm your co-host, Hannah Harrison. And I'm Philip Loring. In our first episodes, we talked about how fishermen can be thought of as professional fishing athletes. That is, that the nature of their work demands the same high level of mental focus, training, and physical acuity that one might expect from a professional sports athlete. Throughout this podcast series, we're using that lens to understand the many facets of fishermen's minds, bodies, and well-being. Today, we're talking about the wet stuff, water, hydration, and everything in between. Let's start with our first guest, who's an ergonomist from New Zealand. My name is Marian Edwin. I am an ergonomist based in New Zealand. I currently work for our health and safety regulator, WorkSafe New Zealand. But the, the work that I'm going to talk about was done when I was working as self-employed ergonomist, um, working for my own business here in New Zealand. Most of the work I've done has been uh, addressing musculoskeletal injury risks across a wide variety of manufacturing and other worker roles in New Zealand. Marian Edwin, greeting us first there in Maori, the indigenous language of New Zealand, is an expert on how hydration impacts the body, particularly in the context of commercial fisheries. So, of course, my first question for her was, why exactly do our bodies need fluid? Our bodies are made up of over 60% of water, so it's really important we put a good proportion of that back in so that we stay wet and that our tissues stay moist enough to function well. So when I say tissues, that means I'm thinking about our muscles, our brain, um, and all the other things that are in there that that work, our gastric system, so our stomach and our bowels, um, our nervous system. Everything requires um, a good amount of of fluid for for it to operate optimally. You know, on the last episode, we talked about food as fuel, which makes me think now of the fluids we consume as maybe the lubrication that keeps the machinery running? You are actually exactly right about that. In our conversation, Marion talked not only about why we need fluids, but also what happens when we lose moisture, such as through sweating. As our muscles operate so that we can do things, um, our muscles use the energy from what we've eaten and in water to operate. Uh, as we do that, we that just the, the whole function of our body means that we get warm from that metabolic energy use and expenditure. We heat up and we cool our bodies via sweating. And as we sweat, we also lose some of the electrolytes, so the salts um, out of our body. Uh, and over time, that means that we lose some of the necessary um minerals and things that we need for our nervous system and our muscles to actually function. So people that have sweated a lot and been working really hard might find that they start getting really crampy um, and, and or headachey um, and just generally not feeling great because their bodies have run out of the important uh, fuel for their activity. So, so it's important that we have not just the food intake but the water that keeps everything lubricated. If you were an engine, you'd need to put oil in. And it's like um, the water is really like oil for our bodies. Essentially, we lose moisture just by being alive. 
we don't actually have to be actively sweating to lose fluids, and we don't have to drink just water to put those fluids back. Here's Marianne explaining further. We get water in lots of things. You get it out of some of the foods you have, um, whether it's soups or um, even moist sort of vegetables like pumpkin or um, some of those sorts of more watery sorts of vegetables have got quite a high content in them. Uh, mostly it doesn't matter what moisture you take in, the more the merrier. Um, and, and you asked about what's enough, and this is going to sound a bit stupid, but well, that depends on what you've been doing. Um, if you are in a cool environment where you're not sweating, you're not sort of um, just, if it's warm like it is here today, I'm feeling like I'm probably losing a reasonable amount of water just by kind of steaming off in the warmth. Um, so you don't necessarily need to be sweating in a way where you feel kind of damp and moist to be losing um, water from inside your body. Uh, as you speak, you will, and you know this on a wintry cold morning, I'm sure you get a few of those in Canada, um, where, where you've got steam and uh, coming out as you're speaking. So you know it's cold and you are probably, you'll be losing some moisture as you speak. Um, so we know that we will lose a certain amount of, um, of the fluid in our bodies just from being alive and, and having those normal body processes occur. Uh, so often people think, so should I drink eight glasses of water a day? What is it? And it's, it really does depend. Some of us will sweat more as we work because we're used to it, our bodies cool faster, we've just trained ourselves to do that. Um, so you might need to put more back in. Others, others won't sweat in quite the same way and, and don't necessarily need to drink so much. Uh, so a lot of it's activity dependent. It's also environment dependent. There's a lot of difference between working in the fish meal plant, um, which is often a really hot environment, to working in the chillers where you're, you're taking um, and stacking perhaps the, the frozen fish. Uh, so there's, there can be a huge difference in the sort of work environment that we're in. Okay, so what happens if we don't get enough hydration? In short, nothing good. Here's Marion again. So dehydration uh, contributes to the physical fatigue uh, in muscle function. So we might find that we're just not able to sustain um, you know, high-level grunty job performance um, if you're dehydrated. You quickly, more quickly feel worn out um, and unable to continue or to, to be just less um, accurate and um, smooth, say, even in your movement. So that real muscle function and physical function is impacted also has a terrible effect on um, cognitive function. So if you're really dehydrated, you can just make some really silly decisions. Your alertness might decrease and you might miss things that you'd normally take notice of. Your memory might become a little poor and your attention um, may be impaired. So overall, there can be an increased uh, risk of of making mistakes and in the sorts of things that lead to workplace accidents. Um, and in addition, some of if someone is suffering from long-term dehydration, so we've been working in this field for years, um, you may also, there's also risks of cardiovascular health issues and kidney issues, um, which might suggest that fishers could be exposed to some of these as longer-term health risks. I didn't quite realize that being dehydrated could impact our work so much and our health in general. It makes me think again of our last episode where we heard from Hilary Pride, the dietitian in Maine, who talked about the links between sleep and nutrition, particularly 
when it comes to caffeine and energy drinks? Drinks like energy drinks, coffee, um, maybe it's even something like a caffeinated soda to keep us awake through the day. Um, there are some situations where we just need to have a little bit of caffeine. I think, you know, we are not going to get through it, but being aware of situations where maybe that consumption really starts to accumulate, um, especially if it's something like a sweetened energy drink or a, uh, a sweetened soda, you know, in addition to getting excess caffeine intake, there's going to be a lot of excess added sugar intake as well. Um, maybe that's a situation where, you know, something like switching to um, a water or saying like, maybe I need to see if I'm hydrated before I'm drinking a lot of these energy drinks, because they are going to be contributing significant amounts of caffeine that could ultimately kind of lead to dehydration, um, maybe some rapid increased heart rate. So then when we finally do have a chance to sleep, that could be a challenge, throwing off that whole cycle of sleep and wake time a little bit more. In listening to Hillary again here, it reminded me of a story from fisherman John Corbin, who we also heard from last episode. Let's just say that he may have been getting a lot of fluid while in the wheelhouse of his crab boat, but I'm not entirely convinced that it was hydrating. Well, I was a coffee junkie. The uh, The crew used to joke with me that I had a, a crook in my finger because it always had a coffee cup hanging onto it. And, and so... But I, in all seriousness, um, you know, for 20 years, I averaged uh, 30 to 40 cups of coffee a day, which is a lot of a lot of coffee. But it was just, you know, it was so funny because people say, well, how could you ever get to sleep? You know, you're eating all that coffee. But I could just have finished downing a couple cups of coffee and, and, and all of a sudden it looks like the current changed and I've got a nap coming. My head hits the pillow and I'm gone. 30 to 40 cups a day. Holy moly. Right? I am a coffee person myself, but that is a lot of Joe. Coffee can be a real crutch when you're tired, which of course is the reason we drink it. But people also use other things. Another caffeine substitute that John mentioned in our chat was energy drinks, which can be quite popular beverages on boats. Energy drinks are a little bit different and we're learning so much about the detrimental side of, of uh, energy drinks. I've never drank them myself. Coffee was my drug of choice, but, but I went down to one of my boats one time, they were getting ready to head out for the beginning of the season, Dungeness, and I saw about 10 cases of energy drinks. A couple of days later, the captain called me in and said, we had a young crew member on board and, and he thought maybe he was having a heart attack. And I thought back at all those energy drinks and, uh, and I asked him, I says, has he been drinking, you know, those energy drinks? And he said, yeah, he's been drinking a lot of them plus coffee. And uh, I said, well, uh, put him in his bunk and keep him away from the energy drinks. That's this is, and uh, it took about a day and a half for him to really come back to not feeling like his heart was pounding out of his chest. So we've heard some of what not to drink or what to drink less of anyway. And we know that water really is the best thing to drink to stay hydrated. So 
I wonder if Marianne suggested any proven tips or tricks to make it easier to stay hydrated on a boat. She did, in fact, and these actually come from vessel crews that she worked with in New Zealand. One of the things we talked about when um, when I was on the vessels um, with fishers was the the need for the drinking cups and the um, in the dining area to be a decent size so that instead of just a little cup full, you could actually have a big sort of glass, um, not necessarily glass, usually a plastic something, but a big drink so you could get like a good half litre and a really good guzzle of fluid. Um, so, so that was one of the things, just making sure there was a decent sized drinking vessel um, that allowed you to have a good, pretty fast, but a really good gluggy sort of a drink. Um, uh, so that was one important thing. The other thing that was really important was something that improved the flavour. Lots of people are a bit, you know, not terribly fussed with just drinking plain water. So there's a few things over here. There's some products that just, that are essentially an electrolyte um, solution that you can add um, to the regular water supply that improves the flavour and improves some, provides some electrolyte um, and sugars with the with the liquid that you're drinking. So a lot of people found that that was a really good plus. And if it was provided on the vessel, um, it's safe. Uh, a lot of people would also do the bringing on um, bottles of prepared um, purchased electrolyte um, products, which meant that they were, A, manual handling a huge amount of extra stuff onto the vessel when they came on, uh, and B, then there was a whole bunch of plastic stuff to get rid of once they'd um, consumed the product. So, so the provision of something that was a, just an add to the water supply on vessel was found to be a sort of a good environmentally friendly solution as well as providing something that worked. You know, I love that her tips for staying hydrated also are tips for reducing plastic waste. And I was interested too to hear her talk about electrolyte drinks. Now, I think most people know that we lose electrolytes when we sweat, but it's, I'd be curious to know how much we really need to be drinking electrolyte replacements when we're working. That is a really good question. And essentially the answer is, it depends. I think Marion explains it really nicely here. If you've done an enormous amount of work, uh, and I'm thinking if you've done sweaty work for an hour and a half or more, um, you might be needing to replace some of the salts and sugars. So, and a really, and there's a lot of products, of course, that, that are um, made and sold as electrolyte drinks, many of which come in lots of expensive packaging, some of which you can simply add to regular water. With the uh, electrolyte beverages, drinks of some sort, the idea is with those that there are salts and sugars that, that are replacing what your muscles have burned as they've been working and what you've sweated out. Uh, and that can be really important because it replaces those salts um, that you've lost. It might lead to things like cramping. Um, and also the sugar replaces some of the energy that, that you've used um, in your activity. Uh, importantly, you don't need to be using um, electrolyte replacement unless you really are having those long periods of really sweaty work. But many people will simply be able to, if it's not really sweaty work they're doing, just regular drinks without needing to add additional sugars because your, your normal diet will provide you with more than enough of those usual salts and sugars and, and other nutrients that we need to function. Now, one thing Marion brought up is how there can sometimes be a shortage or 
an overall lack of potable water on board some vessels. And that is a real challenge for fishermen to overcome, especially if they're away from shore for long periods of time. Now, of course, on a boat, that can sometimes become tricky. I've had many fishers tell me that "Hmm, we never, ever drink regular water on the vessel because you guarantee that at some point in time, especially on the smaller vessels, fuel has gone into the water tank. And I don't know whether that's an issue in Canada, but I was told that reasonably often here in New Zealand, which means that fishers have actually learned not to drink what comes out of the tap on a vessel because it tastes nasty. Um, so mostly they were drinking the water that they bought on separately um, or drinking on the vessels. There's another sneaky thing that happens on, on vessels that are up for longer trips. We're using desalination plants. So the desalination takes the salt water, removes the salts and provides you with pretty much just straight water. Mostly that should be being remineralized to provide the small quantities of minerals that keep it A, tasting good um, and, and B, just provides a little extra nutrient for us. So there's a really strong um, case for especially larger vessels, to be ensuring that they are remineralizing their desalinated water to ensure um, a, good, a good healthy intake of water for, um, for their crew. Wow, that is interesting, Hannah. You know, as somebody who, for most of my professional career, I've worked with people on small boats. I had no idea that these large long-haul fishing vessels were desalinating water at sea for drinking water. I also had no idea, and it really got me thinking. There are a lot of ways to get fluid into our bodies and water onto our boats, but what about getting it all out? As a woman who has spent a lot of time on different types of boats, one of the regular challenges I face is, where am I going to pee? In talking with other women who work at sea, I've heard that same thing. And sometimes women even dehydrate themselves to avoid needing a toilet while on board. And it turns out we're really not alone in this. A lack of clean and appropriate bathroom facilities can affect men and women in both where they go and how much fluid they drink while on board. The lack of a toilet facility that's appropriate for women was certainly uh, a very real issue on vessel and was certainly a topic that we um, raised and discussed. So um, the, the key issue for one of the vessels that I was on particularly, there was a shared um, so a unisex bathroom that was closest to the factory facility. Um, and I don't know about you, but the way blokes are plumbed uh, means that often they want to stand to, to pee. Um, and on a boat that's doing that thing that boats do with a lot of movement, it can mean that they're not necessarily terribly accurate um, and that the toilet can become really quite grotty really quickly. Uh, And I had many women saying to me, we can't use that toilet, it's disgusting, Um, because practically you cannot hover on a a toilet, uh, over a toilet, when the boat's moving as much as it does. Okay, well, it seems to me that, especially on longer trips, everybody's going to need to sit down for their business at one point or another. So maybe sitting for all types of bathroom trips could be a solution. I really think you're onto something there. And Marion also had some other suggestions. Um, For the smaller vessels where there may not even be a toilet, um, personally, I'm going to suggest to you that the the female uh, urinals, the feminals, they're called, 
can work quite nicely. And I suggest that girls might want to invest in one of those. So now I've used a product like this before called a Shiwi. And Mary and I had a pretty good chuckle over some of the, shall we say, idiosyncrasies of using such a device. And so, it, I mean, you use it by taking your pants down and standing just like the boys do off the end of the boat. And it, it's delightful, but I'll tell you what, the looks that they give you when you've turned back around. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I was just disappointed that mine wasn't bigger. <laughs> Now, all joking aside, Marion points out that paying attention to your pee can tell you a lot about your hydration level. I'll let her wrap us up with a nice explanation of what you should be looking for and some closing thoughts about staying ahead of your hydration. Um, Essentially, you should be looking for your urine to be just a pale straw color is is the, the term that they often use, which is really just a really light lemon color. Of course, that will vary if you've been having um, something like Barocca, so some of the multivitamins and, and, and improving your um, how you're feeling by having multivites because that changes the color of your wee. But but if you use that as a general guide, you'll 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 start to understand that actually if if you're weeing really dark yellow to the point where it's quite brown, you are really dehydrated. It's also really important to note that you need to that it may take you um, a day or two of really focusing on your uh, water intake, and I'll say water, whatever you're drinking, um, to bring that back to a better um, level of hydration. If you just think that if you're dehydrated, every little cell in your body is a bit wilted, um, and it's going to take quite a bit of time for you to, to get enough water back into your body for each of those little cells to pump back up and get the the right sort of level of of fluid in them. So it might take you a day or two to return to a better level of hydration. If you're really hydrated with really dark urine, you probably need to try to sit down and drink a good litre or more in one go or, you know, over, over a half hour, an hour or so really focused on getting that fluid level back up so that your body and your brain can get back into um, slightly better working order. It will impact on your performance and your productivity. And I know in fishing, being productive and able to to do as much as you can physically is an incredibly important part of the work. So you need to put put the fuel in. Um, You need to fuel up for yourself in order to keep that workload and work capacity. Well, we've covered a lot of water in this episode, so let's talk key messages here. What were your big takeaways, Hannah, from listening to our three guests? You know, for me, I think I was most impressed by how big of a deal it is to be hydrated. It improves work performance and alertness, and so it's completely critical to commercial fishing work. For me, it's always a good reminder, I think, to hear that water is the best option for staying hydrated. But it was great to hear about some easy and also environmental friendly ways to add in electrolytes to that water or to make it taste better and to avoid needing a second boat just to bring all the plastic packaging. 
I also learned that hydration is more than just the fluids coming in. It's also about fluids out and having a safe and clean place to take care of those needs. In addition to thinking about food and drinks that we bring on board our vessels, we should also take notice of where we can answer nature's call and make sure that it's a functional space for all of the different bodies on board. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, you heard from Marion Enwin, who is a researcher in ergonomics in New Zealand, Hilary Pride, who is a registered dietitian in Maine, and John Corbin, who fishes from the Columbia River area on the west coast of the United States. Join us again in two weeks as we hear from a fishing boat chef and from experts about what happens to our brains when we do, or sometimes don't, sleep. Fishing Forward is a production of the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety and Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. We love to hear your feedback. You can share your thoughts with us via email at fishing at necenter.org, or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 607-221-4448. And of course, you can also visit us on the Fishing Forward podcast webpage at www.coastalroots.org forward slash fishing forward pod. Though we do our best to bring you accurate information and lived experiences in this podcast, please remember that all of the health-related information presented here is the opinion of the interviewees, and it should not be interpreted as licensed medical advice. As always, talk to your physician about your own health needs and circumstances. Fishing Forward is funded by the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety. We also receive support from the Alaska Marine Safety Education Association, Oregon State University, the Pacific Northwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center, Fishing Partnership Support Services, the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, the NORA Agriculture, Forestry and Fishing Council, the Southwest Center for Agricultural Health, Injury Prevention and Education, and the Local Catch Network. Stay sailing.